March Madness 365 with Andy Katz is presented by Grammarly. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that gives your team an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. Grammarly works seamlessly across 500,000 apps and websites. Get personalized on-brand writing help everywhere your team works. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. And welcome to the latest edition of March Madness Men's Basketball. I'm your host, Andy Katz. On this edition of our podcast, I'll be joined by CBS Sports' Gary Parrish and Matt Norlander. We're going to discuss the brawl, fracas, whatever you want to call it, at Wisconsin-Michigan that happened on Sunday on CBS. Game was in Madison. Plus, discuss the top 16 reveal that the Men's Basketball Selection Committee unveiled on Saturday in my Cats ranks. I will break down my top 10 within the top 16, which of course has changed because they played games after the top 16. So I'm going to rank them, uh, the top 10 within the top 16. And then I'm going to be joined by Bryson Williams from Texas Tech. The Red Raiders are certainly playing some inspired basketball. Swept Texas, swept Baylor, beat Kansas. They're looking pretty strong as a real lock for being, I think, a two seed for sure. So that's all coming up on March Madness Men's Basketball. So let's first get to the news of the day, which certainly is the Michigan-Wisconsin fracas. Let's first deal with the penalties that were issued late on Monday night. Michigan head coach Juwan Howard, five-game suspension. This is in conjunction with the Big Ten and the University of Michigan because under Big Ten sportsmanship bylaws, they can only hand down a two-game suspension plus a fine. So Michigan clearly tacked on this. So five games. Michigan has five games left. And we'll see if he's coaches in the Big Ten tournament. I think they'll review it. Uh, he was fined $40,000. Terrence Williams from Michigan threw a punch. One game. Effective immediately. Musa Diabate, Michigan, one game, effective immediately. Wisconsin, head coach Greg Gard, fined $10,000. And Wisconsin's Jacoby Neath, one game for a punch. So for Michigan, first off, this is significant. And, and Phil Martelli will be the interim head coach. But it's significant because you've got a situation where Michigan at 14-11, 8-7 in the Big Ten desperately needs wins. They got Rutgers at home. Illinois at home, Michigan State at home, Iowa at home, at Ohio State. So, look, they could easily lose all five, three of the five, two of the five, one of the five, but they need wins. These are all quad one games. They need wins. And Musa Diabate not playing against Rutgers is significant because he was great in their win over Iowa. Now, Phil Martelli's more than capable, obviously. He never should have been let go at St. Joe's. I mean, he's been a well-accomplished coach, got to lead eight with Jameer Nelson and Delonte West. So I'm not worried about the coaching, but, you know, just let's see the mindset with this group, especially with this next game against Rutgers uh, without Diabate. And then Terrence Williams has had moments, but losing Diabate certainly is significant. Really no backup with Hunter Dickinson. I mean, Brandon Johns, I mean, obviously he can play the five uh, against Cliff Amore, but this is in Dean Reber. This is going to be a tough game for Michigan. No question about it. And Rutgers beat him the first time. So... In terms of the actual incident, coaches can coach until the last second of the clock. 
And I would say it's really up to the losing coach how that game is going to play out. So this was a double-digit game. We knew the result. 22 seconds left. So let's just review real quick. Two starters in for Michigan. They're pressing. Wisconsin has their walk-ons. So Juwan Howard has made the decision. He's coaching the final 22 seconds. So Greg Gard says, I'm going to coach the final 22 seconds. My walk-ons can't get the ball up court. The rule states that the 10 second, you got 10 seconds to get the ball across half court. They were at four. You call a timeout, it resets to 10. That left 15 seconds left. Juwan's pissed that Greg calls the timeout. Fine. They all can be angry at each other, whatever. They go through the handshake line. Clearly, Juwan does not want to talk to Greg. Basically says, I'll remember that, talking about the timeout. Greg stops him. You can debate, should he have stopped him? Should he have put his arm on his elbow? Obviously, Juwan was ticked at that. And then... It escalates from there. Krabenhoff, Joe Krabenhoff from Wisconsin, sort of comes into the scene as the scrum entails and allegedly said, back off to some degree. And that's when Juwan open, you know, hand swatted him across the face. Cannot do that. Cannot do that. And players threw punches. And because of that, it's a significant development. No question about it. And I, I just firmly believe we can easily say that both coaches should have just let the game run out. You could say that Greg did not need to stop Juwan, maybe discuss it later, call him, talk about it in the presser, but it never should have escalated to a fracas. Uh, I want to compliment Juwan Howard because I really liked his apology. Should have happened after, but you know what? It's fine. And he says, quote, after taking time to reflect on all that happened, I realized how unacceptable both my actions and words were and how they affected so many. I am truly sorry. I'm offering my sincerest apology to my players and their families, my staff, my family, and the Michigan fans around the world. I would like to personally apologize to Wisconsin's assistant coach, Joe Krabenhoff, and his family too. Lastly, I speak a lot about being a Michigan man and representing the University of Michigan with class and pride. I did not do that, nor did I set the right example in the right way for my student-athletes. I will learn from my mistake, and this mistake will never happen again. No excuses. Michigan has fully accepted the disciplinary actions and... No further actions or comments will be made publicly. So, you know, a day later, the right things occurred, but it's significant. There's no question it is significant. So we are going to discuss this. And when I talked to Gary Parrish and Matt Norlander earlier on Monday, it was prior to the handing down of the suspensions, just so you know that in our conversation. And then we got uh, Bryce Williams as well. So a lot on the pod. Please enjoy. And now joining me here on March Madness Men's Basketball, two good friends from CBS, Matt Norlander and Gary Parrish, among many other hats that they all wear. First, before we get started, where can they find your work and your podcast? Because I want to make sure I don't forget. Well, um, obviously, we both write for CBSSports.com and and work for CBS Sports. Uh, The podcast is available literally anywhere you find podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And we also have it on YouTube, so you can uh, search and subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via YouTube, which is a new thing we're doing this season, which has been a, a fun addition. So for those that are just listening, they can't see Matt Norlander's backdrop or background. I'm just curious right off the top, there are guitars over your shoulder. How often do you play either one of them during your podcast? Uh, Not often, although 
true OGs of the podcast. I don't even think Parrish would remember this. I have actually played and sung on the podcast before. Parrish, do you remember when that happened? I remember it vaguely. When it happened and what it included is, is uh, no memory of that. But I, if somebody were to ask me, has Norlander ever played a guitar on the podcast? I would have said, yes, I think that happened. Yeah, okay. way back, way back in the day, I was hosting with GP and Jeff Goodman was on and you guys basically demanded that I play on the podcast. I played the Beatles, Hey Bulldog. Uh, so anyway, during the podcast, not a ton, although I Occasionally I will. And yes, when you watch on YouTube, I've got my guitar pedals there, the drum sets behind me. My office doubles as a podcast studio, TBS Sports HQ stuff, all that kind of stuff. But yes, no, occasionally there. I Am I tempted? Of course, maybe. Who knows? The, uh, being on YouTube has opened a whole new uh, dynamic. And Andy, thank you for having us on this podcast. We're going to do our very best not to ramble. We'll try and shut up. But I got to be honest, you asked us both to come on this thing. And this is a tighter format. So you're right. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> I want to get this out first. But I have one last question before we get to the news. And that is, we've all taped things at crazy hours and in bizarre places. I'm just curious because we've all worked crazy long hours covering this sport. Where and at what time is the latest or most bizarre place that you have taped your podcast over the last few years? Well, we have um, set schedules now uh, to where we tape, you know, early evening on Sundays and then uh, 10 a.m. Eastern on Wednesday mornings and 10 a.m. Eastern on Friday mornings. But we used to, before video, tape whenever we could. And often we would just do it when I get out of studio for CBS Sports Network on Tuesday night, like your Wednesday morning podcast. We would do it late Tuesday night. And by late, I mean 2 a.m. I mean, we would boot podcast at 2 a.m. And during the NCAA tournament last season, we were, you know, around 1, 2 a.m. I mean, we've wrapped these things up after 3 a.m. before, yes. I believe. So it's it's gone pretty late. But I think those days are in our past. Yeah, I just wanted to set the table that the two of you are committed and people know that and should know that. And they go, all right, so we are taping this prior to any news of any disciplinary action with the scuffle, scrum, brawl, whatever you want to call it that happened between Michigan and Wisconsin. So I want to first address you guys in this manner. The end of a game, each coach has every right to coach the final 20 seconds, 30 seconds, minutes, however they want. Fans sometimes boo when a coach who's down double figures decides to foul for whatever reason. Uh, Gary, I'll start with you. Just your thoughts on how coaches coach the end of games when we know the result is in hand. I think it is ultimately up to the coach on the wrong side of the blowout to determine how the rest of this game is going to be played out. If you're not fouling anymore and not pressing up to 94 feet, not actually trying to cause a turnover, then I do think the coach who's about to win the game, what we typically see is, all right, let's dribble this thing out. Hey, stop. We've seen it a million times. Shot clock off, dribble it out. No more shots. We're done here. But I do think when the losing team or the team that's about to lose is still playing and still playing hard, then the coach who's about to win is totally in the right to handle that moment however he wants to. And obviously, this came to the forefront on Sunday. Michigan was still playing. And Greg Gard at Wisconsin had his backups in. And Greg, in that moment, clearly decided, if you're going to keep playing and trying to cause a turnover here, well, then I'm going to try to prevent a turnover here. And I'm going to call this timeout, reset the 10-second clock. If Michigan would have backed up, I think Wisconsin would have just dribbled out the clock and the game would have ended like every other game ends. But once Michigan kept playing, Wisconsin kept playing, and then Juwan Howard took offense and what happened happened. So Matt, let me pick it up from there. 
at what point is it appropriate to address or explain what you have decided to do as Gary laid out? At what point is it appropriate to address or explain? You mean like between like when guard tried to explain it to Howard? Yes. Yes. If you want to do it quick, fine. I'm going to fall back on what I mentioned on the Ion College Basketball, and I've heard from more coaches here on Monday morning. The interesting facet to me is this. While all the coaches that have reached out have put the majority of the blame on Howard, I mean, I've got three this morning who essentially have said, Greg Gard could have done more to de-escalate the situation. It's not on Greg Gard to take Juwan Howard to the side and say, hey, man, this is why I did this. You know, he knows that Howard's ticked. He's fuming. He, he lost a critical game to try and get into the NCAA tournament. And there's, I think we all agree that the majority of this falls on Juwan Howard. I would say that not all of it does. And within coaching circles, I'm talking head coaches and assistants inside the Big Ten and outside of it. There has been some, listen, guard also should know the deal here. Howard's ticked. Let him say his piece. Let him walk by you. You do not need to do this. If anything, you can find him if he wants to talk privately in the bowels of the arena or you have each other's phone numbers. You can call. You can text. You can hash it out. You can go to your ADs. But there in the handshake line is almost never going to provide the kind of outcome and dialogue that's really going to solve something in the moment there. So it's been interesting to hear from coaches who are, who have just basically said Howard deserves a big suspension, but guard did not help the situation. And Oh, by the way, uh, he's in his right to call a timeout there, but he's going to win the game and you just turn the ball over. Who cares at this point? So it's, it's been intriguing to get different viewpoints in the past, you know, 12, 18 hours here. So I want to just remind everyone as we're taping, we don't know any disciplinary action, Gary, what is that line of a physical confrontation from a coach, head or assistant to another, as well as players when the game is concluded? Well, it's it's obviously unacceptable. You know, my brother, I mentioned this on the podcast last night. My brother doesn't follow college basketball at all. But even he texted me about this. He was like, yo, these basketball coaches are wild. How often does something like that happen? I said, that never happens. Like, we don't see that. Uh, once you strike another person, you are facing, um, at the very least, a suspension. Um, I would stop short of termination. I, I don't think we need to take it that far. But it seems likely that, you know, a suspension is coming for Jawan at the very least. You, you can't do what he did. I am interested to know. We still don't know at this moment what Joe Krabenhoff said, the Wisconsin assistant, that clearly escalated it and took it to another level because Jawan was focused on Greg Gard and he was mad at Greg Gard, irritated by him. He didn't strike him. He went over here and, and took a swing at, at this other guy. What happened there? We still don't know the answer to that question, but I think any reasonable person would agree, whether you're a player or a coach, and especially a coach, you can't put your hands on somebody like that without facing some sort of real punishment. And one last thing on this to put a bow on it, Matt, Michigan's NCAA tournament status. We know there's going to be some fallout in terms of suspension as we're taping. They play Rutgers, and Illinois next, a total of four straight home games, and then they end at Ohio State. And they got Michigan State and Iowa coming in there. All really tough games. They are eight and seven in the Big Ten, heading into that Wednesday game against Rutgers, 14 and 11 overall. They may have some good data points, but they're on that line. How does this affect them going forward? I, I think it affects them significantly. Again, we wait to see 
what the suspensions will be for the players, if there are any, because Michigan also had players uh, who appeared to throw punches. Uh, Musa Diabate, Terrence Williams, sophomore being another. How long will they sit, if they sit at all? You know, Diabate has been a starter for the majority of the season and was a, it was a prize freshman coming into the season there. So there's an impact there as well. No, Howard, you, you know, you'll have Phil Martelli coaching in his stead. Martelli, obviously a veteran coach, was at St. Joe's for two decades there. You, you know, Howard brought Martelli on specifically because he wanted to have someone, a veteran in the college space to be his top assistant. And in this instance here, purely from a basketball perspective, that decision is going to pay off significantly because Martelli is equipped, I believe, to do the job as well as you could ask almost any assistant to do the job. I know they get four straight games at home, fellas. That is a tough ask. You're going to face a desperate Rutgers team. Then you're going to get Illinois, who is capable, in my opinion, of making the final four with its talent. Michigan State is rickety right now, but that's a high intensity rivalry game. And Michigan State on its own is trying to get its own season back on track there. And then you get Iowa, which that could be a true bubble bubble game in Chrysler on Thursday, March 3rd there. I don't like Michigan's chances of making the NCAA tournament. They're going to have to get, I think, at least four wins between when we're taping now and Selection Sunday. They've got five regular season games remaining and then obviously the Big Ten tournament. I think at least four is what they're going to have to do to get there. And if you're going to tell me there's no Juwan Howard for a few games at least, and they might not have their full roster, I think it's a tall ask. Not impossible, but I'm just going to project right now that the Wolverines don't make the dance. Uh, I concur. I think you're right. The four is the number. I want to move on here. First, Gary, you live in Memphis or in the Memphis area. You've covered this team for quite a while. They are, I think, one of the more intriguing teams on the bubble. We're playing well, five in a row, beat Houston, and then bam, get slapped. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say that, but get, you know, pop. <laughs> maybe I shouldn't say that. Lose to SMU, and now they're back to where, you know, what do we do with this team? Your thoughts? Um, they have been a wild ride this season. You know, they go from a team that was, according to most people, going to be unranked heading into the season. They had two five-star freshmen. They go into the top 15, according to most people. And then it was disastrous. They start the season five and four. They deal with COVID issues. They deal with too many unvaccinated players causing problems. Uh, they have injuries. Amani Bates stops playing. I mean, it has been a real roller coaster. But you're right. They they looked like they had figured it out. Penny had shortened the rotation. They were relying on their best players more often than they had earlier in the season. And I know that that sounds obvious, like an obvious thing to do. Play your best players as many minutes as, as possible. But that hasn't always been the case at Memphis this season. Penny, uh, for whatever reason, uh, uh, likes to play a lot of people. Um, in, in you know somewhat unnecessarily. And then, of course, they go to SMU. And as you put it, they lost and it was not particularly close in the second half. Big picture, as long as they stop doing what they were doing early in the season, which is losing to bad teams, they'll be fine. The loss at SMU isn't going to kill you with the selection committee. Um, the, the trick is going to be avoiding additional quadrant three losses going forward. And if they do that, and I think I think they will then they should be in the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2014. But um, as you know, with this team, nothing is guaranteed. All right, man, I'm going to turn to you at the top. Top 16 reveal came out prior to the games. So before Auburn obviously lost to Florida, but we had Gonzaga, Arizona, Auburn, and Kansas with a four ones. Among those four, who do you have the most faith will stay there in three weeks or less than that? And who do you have the least faith in? 
Well, I, Auburn's got to be the answer, right, for least faith, I think, because they took the loss. But quick notes on all this. So, one, Gonzaga being the number one overall seed gives me more confidence than I think I would have had, Andy, a week ago in terms of Gonzaga didn't play a road game in the non-conference. And it's not going to play two road games in WCC play. So, it's going to play by far the fewest amount of road games and road combo neutral games of any team fighting to get to the one, two, three, four line. And so, because of that, I thought, can Gonzaga actually afford to lose one more game non WCC title game against St. Mary's, for example, and still get a one. I do think that's the case now. Now, Gonzaga's final two games will be this week in the regular season, obviously, at San Francisco, at St. Mary's. I actually think Gonzaga can lose one of those two, win the WCC, and it'll still be one. I think that's uh, indisputable. I was kind of curious about that before. Plus, they are dominating that league, which is not even better than average. The WCC really might be having its best season ever, and Gonzaga is winning its games on average. I think now, statistically, this is the second largest margin of victory on average in league play for WCC ever for Gonzaga, and obviously ever in that league there. So I still have a lot of confidence there. Kansas is an intriguing one. So they land on the one line, right? Now, Kansas got blown out at home against Kentucky. Kentucky's on the two line. There's plenty of opportunities for those teams to flip there. They both won over the weekend. Kansas got a road win. Kansas's remaining games, home to K-State, then at Baylor. They get the back-to-back because of COVID makeup. TCU, back-to-back games, home to Texas. That's manageable. Kansas is going to almost certainly win the Big 12's regular season title. I have a hard time thinking that the winner of the toughest league in the country is not going to be a one seed. I, I, I think there could easily be a situation where Kansas wins the Big 12. It doesn't win the Big 12 tournament. And then we're kind of like, well, who's that other one seed going to be? And then we get to Selection Sunday. It's like... Well, of course, the team that actually won the toughest league in the regular season is a one seed. So Kentucky can get up there. But if it does, I feel like it's going to usurp its SEC brethren. And Auburn's going to be the one that kind of flips out. Also, because when I spoke with the committee chair, Tom Burnett, last week, he made a point to emphasize this. He said, listen, in that committee room, net never wins the day. Net is an important tool. Obviously, it creates the quadrants and all that. But we are relying on all of these different metrics. And to hear him say that, and then when I go and look at Auburn right now, in the predictives, right now as we speak, 6 in Ken Palm, 11 in Sagarin, 12 in BPI, 10th in the net. The, the resume-based metrics are still good. I think Auburn's a little wobbly. I would advise them uh, from losing a game outside, say, a top 20, top 25 opponent, because if they do and Kentucky still wins, I think that's where the flip happens on the top line. All right, last thing, and we could talk for hours on this, of course, and then I'll let you guys go, and I appreciate your time, is Arizona. You know, they've got the road win against Illinois. They beat UCLA at home. But what happens if Arizona in a weakened Pac-12, A, loses maybe one more regular season game or loses earlier in the Pac-12 tournament. Gary, how safe is Arizona on that one line? I agree with Norlander. If I were trying to pick the safest one, it would be Gonzaga for all the obvious reasons. I, I think Arizona's next safest. And the reason is because the resume is, is strong right now, obviously. But you start looking at Arizona, Kansas, Kansas could pass them clearly. You start looking at Arizona, Auburn, Auburn could pass them if Auburn took off right now and started playing well again. But, you know, you start looking below that cut line at Purdue, Duke, Kentucky, Villanova, the other candidates for a number one seed all have bad losses. Yeah. They're all banged up. And so, you know, Arizona really doesn't have a bad loss right now. And so even if they take one, okay, well, Purdue's got one. Kentucky's got one. Duke's got couple. I think ultimately when the committee sits down on selection Sunday and they are looking at the entire bodies of work, Arizona is going to have a top four body of work. Uh, Tommy Lloyd in his first season with the Wildcats is going to be coaching a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. How about this? Quad one, quad two combined losses right now. 
Arizona has two. Gonzaga has two. Every other team we're talking about, I'm talking combined quad one and quad two. They've got at least three of them. I feel like Arizona is going to be decently safe. It's undefeated in quad two, five and two in quad one. Maybe we get down to kind of like splicing it up. They don't have as many opportunities. Fascinating case. I can 100% guarantee you that Mark Few is going to be rooting as hard as he ever has for Tommy Lloyd and, and equally so. Those guys have no interest in facing each other in the NCAA tournament, no matter where, unless it has to be the national championship game. So keeping them out of the same region, out of you know one a one and one's a two in the West, they're obviously very interested in that. We'd love to see it, obviously, as media members and fans. I get all that. But my guess, Andy and GP, is when we get to Selection Sunday, Gonzaga and Arizona are not going to be in the same region. I agree. Hey, appreciate you guys' time. Once again, check out your podcast, Ion CBS. Ion, Ion College, College Basketball. basketball. Andy, Ion College Basketball. I was thinking of the I in CBS. I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's fine. Ion College Basketball. I should know that. Oh, we love to clearly have you as the listener, Andy. Let me say yes. that. So thank you. Hey, and in all seriousness, it was awesome to get the invitation. It's always good to talk to you and catch up. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. All right, time for Cats Ranks here on March Madness Men's Basketball with my top 10 ranking of the top 16 reveal. So the top 16 reveal was on Saturday. Now I'm going to take that 16 and rank them 1 through 10 of who is playing the best basketball right now. This is snapshot in time. It's not body of work. Who's playing the best basketball right now? Number one, Gonzaga. So that equates. The Zags are the best team in the country right now. They are the number one overall seed at this moment in time. Number two, Arizona. Wildcats beat Oregon at home. They're playing tremendous. They're a one seed. It's gonna be hard to knock them off that perch. Number three, Kentucky. Without Savory Wheeler and Ty Ty Washington, they knocked off Alabama. That's without their starting backcourt. Alabama's strong in the backcourt. So to me, Kentucky's three. Four, Kansas. Really good road win at West Virginia. Not an easy place to play. They're leading the Big 12. Five, Purdue. Top team rising to the top. Even though they kind of had a little bit of a shaky week, they still won their games. I still think they're the best team in the Big 10. And that's saying something. So I put Purdue five. Six, Texas Tech. Texas Tech jumps up to six for me after beating Texas, getting the season sweep. Already have a win over Kansas and a sweep over Baylor. I mean, Texas Tech could end up on that two-line easily. Seven, Auburn. So they drop down, and they may lose that one seed. So the top 16 comes out, and then soon after, they lose to Florida. Last possession. All their losses, only three, have been late or in overtime. Multiple overtimes in the case of UConn and down the bombs. Eight, Duke. Duke squeaked by Wake Forest, and... Ran past Florida State, team that beat them earlier this season. Nine, Villanova. Wildcats had a great win at Providence and then held their own at home against Georgetown. And at 10, I would put Illinois. Illinois did lose to Rutgers on the road, did not play well at all. Then they went to Michigan State and won that game. So to me... That's how I would rank the top 10 of the top 16. Not how I would seed them, because you got to look at body work in Baylor, as an example. I don't have in this top 10. I'd probably have them 11, and maybe someone could quibble with me, but I would put them 11th on this list. But seeding-wise, 
they will be in the top 10 barring something, you know, just strange here because of their quad one success, an outlier in that regard. So top 10 teams ranked based on how they're playing right now of the top 16 that were revealed last Saturday by the Men's Basketball Selection Committee. And now joining me here on March Madness Men's Basketball, Bryce Williams from Texas Tech. Last couple games, he put up 17 in each, and Texas Tech keeps rolling. You guys have a season sweep of Baylor, of Texas. Bryce, what's been the key to this run? I mean, the key that been to this run is really defense and just us guys sticking together as brothers. Uh, we go out there and uh, we just know that we uh, we want to be the most physical team, want to be the toughest team on the floor every time we play. So uh, that's been uh, that's been the main focal point of our team, and that's what we try to focus on every time we step step foot on that court. What have these atmospheres been like? Home Texas, road Texas, home Baylor, road Baylor, Kansas both times. What have they been like? That's one thing about the Big 12, man. These venues and the atmospheres and the places that we play in, it's, it's just unbelievable. I mean, you get a, a wonderful crowd in, out there in Austin. And then, I mean, I always say that we got the best fans in the country uh, here at Texas Tech. I mean, we always uh, play in the sold-out arenas in the USA. And then um, going to places like Baylor, going to places like Fog Allen, going to West Virginia, places like that. I mean, those atmospheres are unbelievable. And those people always show out and come to see some good basketball. So you were at UTEP. Super senior. What did you anticipate this season would be like playing at Texas Tech? Uh, I anticipated it being a winning season. And um, just with a whole bunch of guys coming from different places. I mean, we got guys coming from mid-majors. And then we got guys that were still here at Texas Tech that decided to rejoin the team with uh, Coach Adams coming back. And, uh, I mean, just with all that mix of guys, I really just came in expecting to just do nothing but win and uh, be a better version of myself defensively. Uh, by putting my trust in Coach Adams and joining this team. So I know you weren't there before when they went to the Final Four in 2019, but how do you explain how there's been no drop-off, you know, from the Chris Beard era to the Mark Adams era? And you could argue that this regular season has been almost even better with the kinds of wins that you guys have had. I mean, I feel like it's not really about a coaching change or it's anything like that. I feel like it's all about culture. And uh, that's one thing Coach Adams did a great job of instilling us guys when we all got here and starting practices and summer practices and things like that is that this is going to be a brotherhood and this is going to be a culture. And every time we step foot on the floor, we want to be the toughest team. And we want to show the nation that, that we wanted the toughest team in America. So every time we step foot on that court, every time in practice, everything, we always compete hard. And uh, we always just, you know, just try to instill toughness in each other. And I mean, that's really been the culture that we've been having and it's been paying off for us. To understand the way in which you guys play defense, how would you explain it? Um, I would say it's just, I mean, with tenacity and urgency. I mean, you you see a guy open and ball's heading his way. You just got to get out there with urgency. It doesn't matter. It's always next man up, and you got to have your teammates back. And that's really what our defense is like. I mean, it's, it's having your teammates back. I mean, they slip up on something, somebody's going to be there to, to erase it and pick it right back up to where it left off. And that guy has to fix the slip up himself by getting on the other side and fixing up whatever slip up we had to do to recover that. So I would say that's what our defense would be. Hey, look, a score is a score. I don't care what league you're in. Uh, what's been the biggest difference, though, in your ability to score in the Big 12 the way you were in uh, Conference USA? Um, I mean, the biggest difference with the Big 12, I mean, it's just that, uh, I mean, guys are a lot bigger and more athletic and more physical. So, I mean, it's a different way you have to come about it in trying to score the ball in the Big 12. And then, I mean, but I would attribute a lot to the hard work and the dedication I've been putting into the gym and uh, the people I've been working out with here. 
and just evolving my game into Big 12 competition. I mean, being more physical on post-ups, things like that, and also uh, making quicker decisions and making much smarter decisions. I mean, the gap to score and the window to score closes so much faster in the Big 12 just with the athleticism and the length that's in this conference. So just having to evolve my game that way. All right, what's the ceiling for this group? I feel like this is a national championship team. I highly believe that. That's what we work towards every day. And uh, we just continue to keep growing and growing. I mean, I feel like we still haven't played our best basketball yet. I feel like this ceiling is to the moon. All right. Well, certainly you guys are playing that way. There's no question. Texas Tech has to be in that conversation. Bryson, appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate you. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness Men's College Basketball. I want to thank Abby Stoltz and Brandon Trinkle for all that they're doing with Bleacher Report and Turner Sports and everyone at NCAA.com in the manner in which they help reproduce this podcast. Love all your engagement. We've got a couple of weeks left of the regular season, conference tournament, and then March Madness, beginning with Selection Sunday on March 13th. Thanks for listening, everyone. March Madness 365 with Andy Katz, presented by Grammarly. AI seems to be all over the place, but with so many options on the market, how do you know what is good for you and your business? AI is no longer a plaything. It's a business imperative. Companies that already use AI for writing are making gains. If you want to beat the competition, you need an AI writing partner you can trust. One that will help you generate not just more content, but better. Grammarly saves your company from miscommunication and all the wasted time and money that goes with it. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that gives your team an instant first draft or the perfect last word written in the company voice, and tailored to their audience and goals. When every doc, message, and email your team writes is clear, compliant, and on brand, everything gets better. Inbox numbers drop, customer satisfaction scores rise, and companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly, easier said, done.